Before we jump into our text today, I actually want to take a moment and, and pray for, for something going on in our world. Obviously, unless you haven't watched the news at all, you, you know about the things and many of the things that are happening uh, in Afghanistan. And I, and I want to take some time and pray for what's happening there, and especially for our brothers and sisters who are there. You know, Hebrews 13.3 says, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also are part of the same body. And, and many of our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan and others who are, who, are not even, who are not even followers of Jesus, but images of God, are experiencing prison and mistreatment and, and far worse than that. And so um, many of them honestly expect to see Jesus in the next few days. And, and we're part of the same family. We're part of the same body. And so we, we suffer with them and we pray with them and we pray for them. So I want to take a moment. I want us to, to pray collectively for that. Father in heaven, sometimes we look at things happening in the world and we feel completely powerless. We, we want so badly to do something and then it's like, what, what, what can we even do? And we recognize that you are the sovereign God who, who is sovereign over all things and somehow you know every single person who is suffering in this world, in this room, and specifically in Afghanistan. We pray specifically for our brothers and sisters in Christ there. We are part of the same family. We are part of the same body. And so we pray for them. We pray that you would sustain them. Would you give them faith to hold on to Christ in the midst of, of suffering and persecution that we can't even imagine? We pray that you would establish peace and justice in Afghanistan. We pray for the protection of human life and human dignity of all of your image bearers who are there in Afghanistan. Pray especially for women and girls in that country who are, who are experiencing danger and attacks on their dignity and dehumanization in ways that we can't even imagine. And so we pray for their safety and we pray for their dignity to be, to be respected and to be protected. We pray for our president and other world leaders. We pray that you would give them wisdom to know the right thing and the courage to do the right thing. We, we pray for the rescue efforts being, being undertaken even now by the military and by others, we pray that they would, that they would preserve human life, that they would protect, protect human life, that they would be able to rescue those in danger and get them to safety. We pray for relief efforts being, being carried out by missionaries and other organizations working in that area, that they would be able to alleviate human suffering and be able to point people to hope. Father, we know that even in the midst of the darkest of times, you continue to hold out hope. You continue to bring people to yourself. You continue to, sh to speak the good news of Jesus. And so we pray that that good news would go forward, not as some imperialistic type of mandate, but as a, a message of hope and love and life and healing for the people of Afghanistan. We pray that your church there, which is experiencing so much opposition, would be strengthened and would be bolstered. And we pray that, that many in Afghanistan, many living in that country who don't yet know Jesus, many of the Taliban even, we pray for a turning. We pray that would turn and repent and turn and find life and hope in Jesus. God, we, 
We recognize our powerlessness. We recognize the fact that we are weak and that there's so many big things in the world happening that we don't have a control over, but we know that you are sovereign. And so we pray that you would work, and we pray specifically that you would work on behalf of our brothers and sisters who we grieve with and who we suffer with and help us find ways to serve them and to love them and in any way possible, God. But in, in this time of not even knowing what to do, we pray and we cry out to you and we trust you. We pray it in the name of the crucified and the risen Jesus. Amen. Hey, um, thank you guys for joining me in prayer. We are, we're continuing our series today uh, in the book of Psalms. And so if you're not familiar with the book of Psalms, uh, the book of Psalms is historically the hymn book or the prayer book for the people of God. And we've been looking specifically at how the Psalms speak for us, how the Psalms speak to the deepest longings and the deepest emotions and the deepest cries of the human soul and how they lead us to encounter God in the midst of those longings. And today, we're going to be in Psalm 139. Now, I've, I've said this before, but there are certain passages of Scripture that I am almost afraid to preach because they're so rich and they're so deep and they're so glorious and I am woefully inadequate to do justice to them. And Psalm 139 is one of those passages. One of my Hebrew professors in seminary said that he had spent over 800 hours studying Psalm 139. And still felt like he had more to learn. So we're barely going to scratch the surface today. C.S. Lewis said that when he started exploring Christianity, he started reading the Bible. But over time, he realized that he wasn't just reading the Bible. The Bible was reading him. The Bible was shining a light on places in his heart that he didn't even know existed. The, the Bible was giving voice to things inside of him that he had never heard before. And that's how I feel about the scriptures in general and Psalm 139 in particular. Because Psalm 139 is all about being known. It's all about being radically honest with God. And we all desire that. We all desire to be known. Our deepest longing is to be known completely, but it's also our deepest fear because we're afraid of being rejected. We're terrified that if someone really knows us to the core of who we are, they're going to be disgusted by what, we, by what they see. And so being known is our deepest longing and our deepest fear. And that's not just true of the way we relate to other people. That's true of how we relate to God. St. Augustine famously said, you have made us for yourself, O God, and our hearts know no rest until they rest in you. But long for the presence of God. We desperately want to be fully known by God. We want to be honest and transparent before him, but we're terrified of it at the same time. And Psalm 139 gives voice to both those longings and those fears. It shows us how to approach God with radical honesty. Psalm written by King David, this is what he says, Psalm 139. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Precious are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they're more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there is any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So it's fascinating if you follow the trajectory of this psalm because David starts out in verse one and he says, God, you've searched me and you know me. But, but then he processes that throughout the psalm and he's actually really wrestling with it. He says, God knows everything about me and I'm a little bit freaked out by that. But by the end of the psalm, you find that the fact that God knows everything about him stops being a source of dread and starts being a source of comfort. So the question is, how do we get there? How do we get to the place where we can just be honest with God, where we can trust him and find comfort in the fact that he knows everything about us? David shows us four things about God in this passage, four reasons to come honestly to God. One, God knows everything about you. Two, God is always with you. Three, God is sovereign over all your days. And four, God is inescapably holy. All right, one, God knows everything about you. Verse one, oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. He says, God, you already know me. You know everything about me. You know me through and through. I cannot tell you anything you don't know about me. Verse two, you know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, oh Lord, you know it altogether. God, you know what I do. You know where I go. You know what I say. You know what I'm thinking. You know it even before I do it. Now, that reality can be comforting or it can be terrifying. The Hebrew in verse 5 is really fascinating. He says, you hem me in behind and before and you lay your hand on me. Now, some of us read that in English and we think, oh, isn't that precious? You know, God's he, he, like he's petting an animal, like he's patting a child on the head. And listen, God's touch can be a wonderful thing, but that's actually not the imagery here. The imagery here of hemming in, of laying your hand on me was used to describe battle sieges in the ancient Near East. And he says, God, you're coming after me. God, I I can't get away from you. Verse six, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, I cannot attain it. Now here, it's just that God's knowledge is mind boggling, although it is. It's overwhelming. It's too much for me, he's saying. It's saying, this is too much to handle. The fact that you know everything about me, the fact that you know what I do and why I do it. And so what David does is he does what many of us do. He runs from God. He tries to escape the all-seeing eye. But then that leads us to the second reason we got to be honest with God. Not only does he know everything about us, but he is always with us. God is always with you. Verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit? 
Where shall I flee from your presence? He says, where can I escape the gaze of the Almighty? Where can I hide from this God who sees everything? Verse eight, if I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. No matter how high I climb, no matter how low I sink, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea. So wings of the dawn, obviously the east. The far side of the sea, in David's thinking, is the west. He's in Israel. He's like, west is actually that way, but I'm not going to turn that way. He's actually, he's looking over the Mediterranean Sea, and the sun is setting, and he's saying, if I go there, if I go to the very end of the world, if I go from one end of the world to the other end of the world, you're still there. I can't hide from you. Verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the night around me become night, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. Darkness is as light to you. God, there's nowhere I can hide. And so when we realize that God knows everything about us, so often our first impulse is to run and hide. As a matter of fact, that's an impulse as old as humanity itself. When Adam and Eve, Genesis 3, uh, recognize that they have turned their backs on God, what do they do? They hide from him. They felt naked and exposed, so they try to sew fig leaves together to cover their shame. God created us to know him and to be known by him, but we wanted to be our own gods. We wanted to rule our own lives. We wanted to do our own thing, and in the process, we lost the thing that we hunger for the most. We lost the honesty in our relationship with God. And now, instead of joy and freedom and and being known by God, we find guilt and shame and fear. So we do the same things that they did. We sew fig leaves together to try to cover our shame. Adam and Eve tried to hide in the fig leaves. David's trying to hide in the dark. Let me just ask you to be honest with yourself today. Where are you trying to hide from God? Where are you trying to hide from God? What fig leaves are you sewing together to cover over your shame? Some of us try to hide in our relationships. We think if, I, if we can just get that person to accept us, then we won't feel the emptiness of our alienation from God. Some of us try to hide in our work or we try to hide in possessions. We think if I can attain enough, if I can achieve enough, if I can buy enough, if I can earn enough respect, then no one will notice how broken I really am. Some of us try to hide in our substances. We're terrified of being fully known, and so we just need something to take the edge off a little bit. Some of us try to hide in our religion. We know that we are sinful and broken, and we feel naked and exposed, so we try to sew together these fig leaves of religion and morality. And if I can just keep up appearances on the outside, then I'll be able to convince God and other people and myself that I'm not that broken. We're all terrified of really being known by God because we assume that God will use his knowledge and his power the same way we do. I mean, think about it. As human beings, human beings tend to use knowledge as a weapon, tend to use it as a way to to, to get our own selfish purposes. That's why even in our own day, that's why things like online privacy are such a big issue. Because we're, in many cases, rightly afraid, maybe, of being known. What's the government going to do with my information? What's that corporation going to do with my information? What's that person behind that fake friend request on Facebook going to do with the information they get from me? We know that sinful human beings often use knowledge as a way to exploit other people. But what if God isn't like us? 
What if God wants to use his perfect knowledge and his perfect power for our good? Verse 10 says, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will, will hold me fast. He's like, God, you follow me everywhere. You know everything about me. You're always with me. But he's starting to realize that's not necessarily a bad thing. You're pursuing me for my good. Francis Thompson was, was an English poet, and he wrote a famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. It's 182 lines long. It's like five pages. I'm not going to read it all to you today. But, but in it, he paints this picture of God as a hunting dog chasing after him and he runs and he hides and he flees and God just keeps coming after him, howling, barking, chasing, calling him. And what he learns over time by the end of the poem is he learns that those howls and those barks that seemed so threatening to him were really God calling out to him, come to me and rest. Come to me and find safety and hope and life in me. Psalm 23, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Shall, it's not just like follow me, like kind of walk behind me. The idea is they pursue me. They run after me. They chase after me all the days of my life. And we run and we hide and we avoid and we take the wings of the dawn and we go to the far side of the sea and we try to escape under cover of night. But God isn't giving up. Hound of heaven keeps coming after us. And like maybe you're there today. Like maybe you've been running and you've been hiding and God's been chasing after you and God's been calling you and it sounds threatening and it sounds scary to trust yourself to him and it sounds 